0: This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. I'm Matthew
1: Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Today, Garfield Elementary School in Northern Benton County is being consolidated.
2: And what happens in that particular situation, because Garfield has a little over 100 students, that meant that it was extremely financially inefficient to operate
0: We hear why and what it could mean for a small community. Plus, 100 years ago, striking union employees of the Missouri and North Arkansas Railroad in Harrison were attacked by a mob incited by the Ku Klux Klan. And
3: there were chapters of the Ku Klux Klan in all of these towns from Eureka Springs.
4: Harrison had one, Marshall, Leslie.
1: And the Center for Multicultural and Diversity Education at the
4: University of Arkansas observes Black History Month. Black History Month is always celebrating the past and and bringing of What people have done in the past You think about old images So like I want to bring that to the present First, NPR News
3: It is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, and this is Ozarks
1: at Large.
0: I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Thanks for being
1: with us today. The 94th General Assembly continues to gather at the state capitol. Though the biggest items have yet to be introduced, an education reform package included, there are bills becoming law. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed House Bill 1014 into law. It would allow online training for county coroners, provide for additional training for courses for county coroners, and provide that a person with a felony conviction is not eligible to be a deputy coroner.
0: Ahead this hour, more legislative news. Plus, our militant grammarian considers the way we talk about time. First, speaking of talking about time, Garfield Elementary is the longest continually operating elementary school in Arkansas, and the 2023-24 school year is scheduled to be its final year. The Rogers Board of Education voted to close the school because of costs. Ozarks at Large, Zana Pope reports, Garfield is a Benton County community and is close to Rogers, which is growing. Studies from Arkansas's previous round of school consolidation show losing a school in a small town can decrease the population and property values.
5: It has been about 18 years since Gary Blackburn served as the nighttime custodian for Garfield Elementary School. He worked there for less than six months, but he was thorough.
6: It's kind of funny. I did so much cleaning that the, uh, the supply people uh, for the Rogers School District on South 1st Street in uh, Fayetteville uh, finally refused to send me Lysol. They said I was using too much Lysol and they wouldn't send me anymore.
5: Blackburn is Garfield city mayor and he served on the Garfield Steering Committee, which was formed this past summer, to discuss options for the school. The Rogers School Board voted to close it after the 2023 2024 school year at a board meeting on January 14th. Concerns of upkeep costs and low enrollment numbers were circling the school before the vote took place. Blackburn says community members have come together for the school.
6: And uh, when we were finished, we gave it to the school system. And uh, it, it was a real unique experience, unlike anything. I've ever been involved with it in my life. It was the community came together like they had so many times over the years for the Garfield School. And people would come down and hang sheetrock or they'd do electrical work or they might help put the roof on.
5: There are 104 students taught daily in Garfield Elementary's Rustic Revival Masonry Stone School. The building was completed in 1941 and is on the National Registry of Historic Places. It is the school's second home. Garfield Elementary began in 1885 and had its first schoolhouse built in 1888. The elementary school's enrollment has been declining for the past four years. The issue of school consolidation contrasts with the overcrowding school districts, including Rogers, experienced a few years ago. Which is why Jeff Perry, the superintendent for Rogers Public Schools, says the district planned to build a new school.
2: And then what we began to see, especially this year, is that for the first time in a period of years, our population, student population, began to plateau and stabilize.
5: He says if the district should experience rapid population growth, a school will be built when there is a need. Perry says updating the Building to code and ADA compliance was part of the final decision, but there was an issue with enrollment.
2: Basically, the state has a funding formula that basically will pay for all of your operational costs if you have about 500 students. So if you don't have 500 students in a school, you will normally lose money. Um, And what happens in that particular situation, because Garfield has a little over 100 students, that meant that it was extremely financially inefficient to operate. And we were losing somewhere in the neighborhood of about $670,000 a year at Garfield Elementary School.
5: Typically, school consolidation is seen in areas where the population is declining. Garfield is about 20 minutes northeast of Rogers. It's a small town, but its population did grow from 502 in 2010 to 593 in 2020, according to the census. For Blackburn, the school closing raises concerns about how this will impact the community's ability to attract younger families and the city's commerce.
6: And, uh a lot of that will go away because the parents will be going to Rogers now to pick the kids up and they'll form those similar economic transactions more than likely in Rogers versus in Garfield. So my gut feeling is it's gonna have a probably a devastating impact financially on the city when it comes to fruition. If no school goes back into that Campus.
5: Economic strains and improving student achievement are the main reasons why school districts or other officials propose to consolidate schools. Such is the case of Arkansas's widespread school consolidation that took place in the early to mid 2000s. Former Governor Mike Huckabee proposed school consolidation for these reasons after the Arkansas Supreme Court ruled the state's funding system was unconstitutional. Because of the reform, an act was passed requiring school districts to consolidate if it had less than 350 students enrolled for two consecutive years. This led to 105 school closings between 2005 and 2011. Researchers from the University of Kentucky studied how this measure impacted rural communities. In the study, they found consolidation decreases town population, community schools, and property values. Also, they found some evidence that the reform might have disproportionately affected communities with larger, diverse populations. Another study from researchers at the University of Arkansas found the widespread consolidation had neither null nor positive effects in student achievement, and no evidence of it resulting in large cost savings. One of the study's authors, Josh McGee, a Department of Education Reform faculty member, associate director of the university's Office for Education Policy, and Arkansas's chief data officer, says they found small school closings impact the community.
7: Uh, but what we saw in the research is that actually closing schools can accelerate those negative population trends and have other negative impacts on a community. Uh, it uh, is interesting that, uh, that Rogers chose to close the Garfield Elementary School given the growth in the area and the potential uh, for additional growth uh, expansion in that area.
5: McGee says schools are asked to perform tasks requiring more personnel, like managing lunch programs and class sizes, adding social workers, or bringing in college counselors to increase the college going rate. This leads to cost variations. He says there is no silver bullet for school districts addressing economic issues. So districts take different approaches.
7: Whenever a school like this is closed, as you noted, this school is relatively small. Those students are absorbed by other schools in the district. Uh, I imagine that the impact on any one school is not going to be huge and that also the personnel of that school will likely be absorbed uh, by the district. Uh, However, it can mean that that individual community where that school was located no longer has an anchor institution uh, that Uh, both employs people but also is the hub of community activities.
5: Perry has been a superintendent for years and lives in Garfield. He says living in a rural space has its benefits and challenges and rural communities across the country are balancing the viability of a small rural school
2: this is happening across the entire nation right now i've been in four different states i have been a superintendent in four different states and every one of those states during my 10 years 18 years as superintendent we've consolidated schools in every one of them and the problem being is that while there is an emotional connection while there is a great cultural significance at the end of the day. You've got to be good stewards of the taxpayer's money. And that particular emotional attachment, you can't continue to make decisions based on that. Because somewhere, there is somebody that is suffering the consequences of your failure to, to take action.
5: Once the school is closed, a charter school will have the right of first refusal unless the district decides to use it in a committed project or new construction project. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope.
1: State lawmakers have advanced a bill which would require more detailed address information for sex offenders to be published online. Members of the Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday advanced, advanced House Bill 1004, sponsored by Republican Representative David Ray of Montmel. Ray contrasted his bill to current Arkansas law, which only requires street block numbers to be listed on the sex offender registry.
3: That could be a dozen houses. It could be two dozen houses. It could be as many as 100 houses. You know, in rural areas, we don't have blocks. And so it's not particularly instructive for rural areas either. Um, So it just adds a level of specificity to what's contained in the registry.
0: John Sarna, a registered sex offender, was the only member of the public to speak against the bill. He said it would be redundant since law enforcement already has access to sex offenders addresses.
6: Once a person who has offended and is back into the community, they are not going to offend again. Research, peer-reviewed research, supports this finding.
1: Arkansas is one of four states not requiring detailed address information on their online sex offender registry. Committee members voted unanimously to send the bill to the full Senate for consideration.
0: Arkansas Medicaid recipients took to the streets yesterday to voice their dissatisfaction. With the program. Arkansans who receive health insurance coverage from the program delivered a list of concerns to the main office of the State Department of Human Services, which oversees Medicaid. Jackie Webster with the group Arkansas Community Organizations says people they surveyed had a number of common complaints.
6: A lot of people talked about how long the process was. A lot of people talked about uh, the customer service. A lot of people wanted their case manager back, you know, where there's no assigned person to one filing.
1: Recipients also spoke about long wait times and the need for better dental and vision coverage. About one million Arkansans currently receive health care coverage through the state's Medicaid program. Calling all aspiring musicians,
0: NPR's biggest music competition is back.
8: I'm Taylor. Welcome to my Tiny Desk concert.
6: And thank you for having me at the Tiny Desk along with my buddy here, Stingy.
8: This is um, an
9: interesting setup here.
0: NPR's Tiny Desk contest is back for 2023. You could join a chorus of your favorite artist in playing the famous office studio. The contest is open to unsigned artists 18 and older, all you have to do is submit a video of yourself performing one song from behind a desk. Entries are open on February 7th through March 13th. For rules and guidelines, visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org.
5: At the tiny
1: Still to come on today's program, our militant grammarian considers how we talk about time.
10: It's used by scientists in different ways to connote a very, very tiny amount of time. For physicists, it indicates how long it takes for light to travel one femtometer, a millionth of a millionth of a millimeter.
1: That's in about 20 minutes, just a bit longer
9: than a jiffy on today's Ozarks at Large. You can discover something for everyone in the family this winter at the Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville. Programming for kids of all ages, teens, adults, and professional development for educators is available, and on April 21st, the Amazium hosts its annual Ungala fundraiser. Information and registration at amazium.org. This is
0: Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. 100 years ago, an armed mob incited by the Ku Klux Klan attacked striking Union railroad workers residing in Boone County. Workers rebelled after bosses with the Missouri and North Arkansas Railroad, headquartered in Harrison, cut wages to save costs. As Ozarks at Large Jacqueline Frillick reports, Arkansas historian Kenneth Barnes has reconstructed this little known railroad history for a book to be published by the University of Arkansas Press.
11: The first tracks laid for what would become the Missouri and North Arkansas Railroad in the late 19th century were for an expedition railway extending from Seligman, Missouri to the quaint Victorian village of Eureka Springs. Ken Barnes, recently retired professor of history at the University of Central Arkansas Conway is authoring a book on the railroad.
2: The
3: Missouri and North Arkansas Railroad started out in uh, the early 1880s as a piece of railroad to connect Eureka Springs with a railroad line in Missouri so that tourists could come down to uh, Eureka Springs by rail rather than the horrible quality roads that they had. Um, But then in the late 1890s, 1899 specifically, some investors, mostly from St. Louis, wealthy investors, uh, decided to expand the line eastward from Eureka Springs to Harrison. And they did that between 1899 and it got to Harrison in 1901.
11: Harrison, population 1,500 at the time, was an isolated farm in Timbertown, reliant on horse-drawn wagons for shipping, receiving, and travel. The promise of an industrial and passenger rail line caused a sensation.
3: Really, the towns of the Ozarks, the small towns, were just transformed by having a railroad that went through there Uh, probably what was the most inaccessible part of Arkansas suddenly became, have access to easy transportation and a whole nationwide market.
11: Virgin white oak timber, zinc and lead ore and fruit crops were sought after Ozark's commodities. From Harrison, construction of the rail line continued in 1909 through Searcy County, terminating in Helena, costing investors $6 million blasting and excavating a route through the Ozarks' rugged terrain was accomplished by skilled labor housed in rough camps.
3: And so they brought in laborers mostly from other places. Many of them were uh, immigrants, uh, Hungarians, Ukrainians, uh, Bulgarians, people of color who came in and did uh, work. And there were some local people also that uh, were part of the, the work camps. But mostly they did the work. And then when the line was completed, most of them left.
11: Hundreds of permanent employees were hired to operate the railroad, centralized in Harrison.
3: When World War I came along, it was sort of the good times because it, it stimulated shipping, especially that mining. The lead and the zinc mines were, were running full throttle. But as soon as the war ended, there was a contraction in the economy. And then also one of the factors was that the federal government nationalized the railroads, for about two years during World War One, and they set an, an, a national wage scale. So a worker on the m and in the Arkansas Ozarks would make the same wages as some railroad worker in New York or Philadelphia.
11: Railway freight handlers, yard workers, locomotive engineers and mechanics often worked 12 to 16 hour shifts in dangerous conditions
3: there were about 900 employees for the m and in total. And they did all kinds of different jobs from conductors to firemen, to brakemen, to maintenance of way workers. They had people who did repair and construction work in the shops in Harrison. Harrison was the headquarters of the railroad. The office staff was there. And then also the maintenance facilities were in Harrison and they were represented by a number of different unions Uh, There are actually 16 uh, railroad brotherhoods that um, represented these union workers uh, by occupation. So there would be a a fireman's union, there would be a conductor's union, and so forth.
11: Locals at first supported the unions, the record shows, but railroad management did not, ordering a 20% wage cut to take effect in February of 1921 to save costs. When union workers walked out on strike, railroad bosses took action.
3: They brought in strike breakers. They advertised to bring people in from Kansas City, St. Louis, and places like that to work for the railroad. And that really made the strikers angry when strike breakers, so-called scabs, were brought in to take their jobs. And they responded with some acts of sabotage, doing things like burning some bridges, uh, putting uh, uh, acid in the water tanks to foul up the engines of the uh, locomotives and other kinds of things that was going to provoke a reaction among the railroad owners, as you can imagine.
11: The strike continued for six months, but damage from ongoing sabotage cost the railroad, which ceased operations for eight months.
3: Uh, destruction and sabotage in that period ended, uh, but people truly suffered who had become dependent upon shipping uh, for their business needs, like uh, timber products, as you can imagine, piled up and were decaying alongside the tracks, you know, in the Ozarks. Fruits uh, rotted in the fields that couldn't be taken to market and so forth. So it was a hard time.
11: By summer, trains were running again.
3: Uh, Because the federal government gave the railroad a $3 million subsidy or loan just to simply get it running again. But almost immediately after it was running, the sabotage and destruction continued Uh, And it was even magnified in the fall of 1922 by the driest fall uh, on record in the Ozarks. And so it would make just a spark from a train, uh, ignite the pine wooden bridges of of the railroad. So all kinds of uh, destruction, some of it probably caused from faulty equipment, Uh, some of it caused by actual depredations by strikers, came to a crisis uh, at the end of the winter
11: but at that point, strikers claimed industry goons were responsible for the railway sabotage.
3: Strikers actually said that the railroad were burning their own bridges just to create a pretext, a sort of false flag kind of situation uh, to provide them with an excuse to put the strike to an end once and for all.
11: Citizen committees formed to combat railway union strikers pressed into action by railroad management.
3: In fact, the manager, general manager of the railroad, basically put it to the people of the Ozarks uh, in a like a news release, a public announcement that said, okay, folks, it's up to you. If we're gonna have a railroad, the public, you folks are gonna have to do something about it. And that was the impetus for like an armed mob to gather and come to Harrison uh, to put an end to the strike. A thousand people gathering on one day at a single moment uh, on Monday, the 15th of January, about 100 years ago this month uh, to put an end to the strike.
11: Mob violence had previously been used in the early 1900s in Harrison to drive out the town's African-American residents, one of many brutal racial cleansings that occurred in Arkansas and across the South. Two decades later, armed white vigilantes went house to house, hunting down railway strikers for interrogation, searching for explosives
3: the railroad actually sent a special train to bring this mob to Harrison. Uh, and the squads, uh, armed men, went around the town of Harrison, bringing strikers in to be questioned, forced them to, to come and search their homes, all of this without any arrest warrants or search warrants, and brought them before this kangaroo court uh, meeting there uh, on the court square. One man resisted. His name was Ed Gregor. And he was with no guilt for any of the uh, depredations that had taken place because he hadn't actually been in Harrison until the previous Friday. He had been off doing some work, building a dam in Missouri. Uh, and He'd come home. uh, But when the uh, mob came to his house, about a hundred men surrounded his house. He shot out of the house uh, and, and basically threatened people to stay out of his house or else. And when he shot, uh, it was returned with a volley of gunfire from all directions, basically riddled his home uh, with uh, gunfire. And they apprehended him, took him for questioning, actually detained him through the night. And in the middle of the night, um, some mass men burst into the um, place where he was being kept, took him out, uh, took him south of town to the railroad bridge uh, over Crooked Creek. And from there, they hanged him to his death.
11: Railway employees were given a choice, abandon the unions or leave town. Several hundred, according to the record, were rounded up and forced to leave the state, banned from returning.
3: They generally went to the southern part of Missouri, uh, hiked across through the woods. They couldn't even go by car because the uh, roads were uh, had checkpoints with armed men. Uh, But uh, walked to Bergman, Arkansas, where they could catch another train line, uh, the White River line that took them to Missouri. So basically lived as refugees until their families could join them. Sometimes wives, you know, tried to sell their property and possessions uh, for pennies on a dollar uh, until they could join their husbands uh, that had left.
11: A circuit judge contacted the governor to dispatch troops to quell the violence, but county law enforcement blocked military intervention. That prompted the state legislature in session at the time to investigate, but Barnes says no one was ever held accountable. Operating in lockstep with the mob, conducting armed house-to-house searches, interrogations, expulsions, and later kangaroo court hearings were chartered members of the Ku Klux Klan.
3: The Ku Klux Klan had come to the Ozarks in the previous summer, the summer of 1922, and there were chapters of the Ku Klux Klan in all of these towns from Eureka Springs. Harrison had one, Marshall, Leslie, Heber Springs, Circe, all of those towns had chapters of the, uh, the Klan
11: Ken Barnes is author of the Ku Klux Klan in 1920s Arkansas, How Protestant White Nationalism Came to Rule a State. He says the Klan deployed its secret statewide network to instigate the railroad riot.
3: In fact, it would be pretty difficult to get a thousand men to show up in one place at one time um, in a time that we don't have cell phones or you know social media to accomplish that unless you had some organizational structure like what the Klan provided.
11: The Missouri and North Arkansas Railroad continued to operate until the late 1940s. Multiple bridge failures, railroad facility fires, devastating floods, declining profits, competing rail lines, and persistent labor unrest shuttered the railroad.
3: Part of the nature of why the uh, Missouri and North Arkansas Railroad was hardly profitable ever was because it just had so many steep grades and then so many curves to navigate. As compared to other railroads uh, that would be going through flat terrain, uh, it was just hard to um, carry as many cars, uh, to pull as many cars on the MNA. and uh, and thus, you know, they couldn't be as profitable, couldn't go as fast, uh, and they struggled with that the entire uh, time of the railroad.
11: Traces of the abandoned rail line remain on the Ozarks. The hacked timber and steel ties removed and salvaged long ago. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froley.
0: In celebration of Black History Month, our podcast partner, Undisciplined, will be hosting a live podcast recording. Undisciplined Black Erasure in Northwest Arkansas will be hosted at the squire Jehagan Outreach Center on Thursday, February 9th at 6 p.m. The panel will include Sharon Killian, president of the Northwest Arkansas Black Heritage Association, Professor Ngozi Brown, an expert of historic preservation, Tommy Davis, a descendant of the Northwest Arkansas historic black community, and Chris Seawood, a member of the Northwest Arkansas MLK Council. For more details and to reserve your spot at this event, head over to KUAF.com slash live podcast.
1: Hey, it's A. Martinez from Morning Edition. Waking up your body every morning is hard enough, so why not make waking up your mind easier? Every morning, we bring you the latest news and headlines, plus a little something to make you smile, think, maybe even laugh, so you can get those neurons fired up for the day ahead. So wake up your brain with us. Listen to Morning Edition from NPR News every weekday.
0: You can listen to Morning Edition from 5 to 9 a.m. every weekday morning on 91.3 KUAF.
1: I could listen to that music in that uh, promo a long time. It makes me feel good. Another weekend, another set of impressive performances by Razorback track athletes. Both the women and men were at the New Mexico Collegiate Classic in Albuquerque this past weekend. The men ran the second fastest four by 400 meter relay ever as the Razorbacks broke the school record with a three minute. 1.09 second victory. Arkansas's time only trails the collegiate record of just over three minutes set by USC in 2018. That's the fastest time ever run.
0: Yeah, that's a little faster than my personal record. Yeah, there you go. Jordan West won the shot put with a career best toss of nearly 66 feet and six inches to hand. Turner, Washington of Arizona State, his first loss
1: indoors since February of 2020. So now the men's indoor track team ranked number 1 in the country. The women's team is ranked second.
0: There is a new home attendance record for Razorback Gymnastics. Friday night, the team performed in front of just more than 11,000 fans in Bud Walton Arena. Arkansas responded with the third highest team score in program history. Though, that wasn't quite enough as Arkansas fell to
1: number two, Florida. And the baseball season, off to a good start for the University of Arkansas-Fort Smith Lions. UAFS won their first two games this past weekend, defeating East Central University out of Ada, Oklahoma, and Washita Baptist out of Arkadelphia, Arkansas, on Friday and Saturday afternoons, respectively. Up next, the home opener at Crowder Field, Friday afternoon at 1 o'clock. By the way, the Arkansas Razorback baseball season starts a little bit later this month.
0: Do you think that comes with free mittens for attendance at the games
1: this early in the year? No. (laughs) <laughs> having having attended early collegiate baseball. <laughs> Bring your own mittens.
9: It's the Community Spotlight on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. Today in the Nancy Blair Operation Studio, joined by Amanda Bielfuss. Amanda, president of the Natural State Roller Derby. How are you?
8: I'm doing good. How are you?
9: Very, very good. Tonight at Prairie Street Bar and Tap, it's their trivia night. Some they started actually, I believe, back in October, or November of last year. What they do is have trivia night, but they always pick local nonprofit. To help spread the word, help spread support for them. We'll get into the specifics of that. I mean, there's been a couple of different uh, leagues in this area.
8: We used to be Northwest Arkansas Roller Derby and Benton County Roller Derby. And in 2020, right before COVID, um, we joined forces and made one amazing league. So now we are Natural State Roller Derby. Uh, we're kicking off our first official season, and our first official game is actually this Saturday. Okay, um, So we're pumped and excited and ready to hit the track again. This Saturday is actually a doubleheader. Okay. Natural State Roller Derby is taking on Rocktown Roller Derby. They're at a Little Rock. Um, and then there will be a mashup game immediately following, which is skaters from all over the states around us sign up to play and we just divide them up in teams and they have fun Um, we will also have peace at home family shelter there and we'll be taking donations for them and they will also have a booth set up for people to talk to them and get more information about uh, what they do.
9: Of course, listeners of the Community Spotlight should be well aware of Peace at Home. They've been uh, a, a long time guest on this. It's just such a strong, strong nonprofit in mm-hmm. our community. Very, very cool y'all are working with them. Okay, speaking with Amanda biofoos president of the Natural State Roller Derby. You know, someone interested, maybe they used to do this, want to get back into it, um i'm sure you're always wanting new members right
8: oh for sure definitely um so, every Sunday night, we kind of do um, Derby 101, which is kind of like a boot camp for yeah. new skaters. We teach them all the basics. We have all the equipment, so you don't even have to bring anything. We can provide skates. We have all the gear you would need. We teach you how to fall, how to skate, all the important stuff in roller derby. I
9: love uh, how how to fall is the first one. <laughs> I, would, I would like that. Yeah.
8: It happens a lot. <laughs> um, and so, that's Sunday nights from 7 to 8. Um, for more information, you can find us on Facebook at Natural State Roller Derby or Instagram also at Natural State Roller Derby for more information on that.
9: Tonight, Prairie Street Bar and Tap here in Fayetteville holding their monthly trivia night. Tonight, it will benefit Shine Light on Natural State Roller Derby and in a way, uh, Peace at Home as well. Maybe get more people out there on a Saturday.
8: Yes, definitely. And we plan to tonight um Really talk up our game, um, talk up peace at home. Um, We're going to give away tickets and merch. We'll have merch for sale. We'll just be there to basically tell people about roller derby because not many people know what it
9: is. (laughs) If you'd like to know more about tonight's trivia night at Prairie Street Bar and Tap, just look them up on Instagram. Again, Prairie Street Bar and Tap. I begin registration for your team at six. And trivia starts at 7, right? I believe
8: that's right. Yep, sounds good.
9: Amanda Biofoos with Natural State Roller Derby. Thanks for reminding us about y'all's role in our community.
8: Yeah, thank you for having us. We appreciate it.
9: The Community Spotlight and KUAF. Your voice matters.
1: This is Ozarks at Large. Black History Month is being observed across the University of Arkansas campus. The Center for Multicultural and Diversity Education will host a performance by Dallas Black Dance Theater in the Faulkner Performing Arts Center Thursday night. There will also be an opening of a new photo exhibition of current UA students, staff and faculty titled Better in Black Monday evening, the 13th, in the Ann Kittrell Gallery in the Arkansas Union on the U of A campus. Enriquez Daniels, the Assistant Director of Multicultural Programming and Diversity Education at the University of Arkansas, provided creative direction for the Better in Black exhibit. Yesterday, he came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about the upcoming events.
4: So for me, events come extremely easy because I just have that mind and I've done events for years and kind of as a side hustle. And so being able to merge the two with my current role on campus and kind of making it happen for students and programming. Uh, my process is one, um, be very intentional about who I'm doing it for, um, kind of think about, think that through. Then I think location, logistics, title. So it's like all these things that go into it. But for me, it's so important to create a rare experience because I feel like it can get a little cookie cutter when it comes to higher ed. So like I always try to find different things to add into these programs to make them work. Yeah.
1: I like that that was like an an audio exclamation. You are, I try very hard. Ding. Yes. Uh let's talk about Dallas Black Dance Theater first. Absolutely. All right. What I know of this troupe is they're innovative. Yes. They're incredibly well respected. Yes. And they're all very good-looking human beings absolutely. who are in incredible Gorgeous people, yes. yes.
4: And they're black. So I think this is also a big deal because in ballet and so this is kind of how I got to this this uh, company. I was thinking okay Let's think about black history money, kind of how we what we always do traditionally. And I'm thinking ballet. And I don't know what it was. Maybe I was watching something on TV. I'm like, ballet. So I started searching black ballet. I went down this whole loophole, and I came up on the Dallas Black Dance Theater. And I was like, okay, yeah, like I love this. I love this idea. Let me look into it. Looked up videos and ideas. And I'm like, let me let me just reach out to them. And, and here they are. They're coming on Thursday.
1: And then you were uh, showing me examples of better Uh, Better in Black? Better in Black, yes. Better in Black. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that, too.
4: So Better in Black is a photo shoot idea. So bringing it back to myself, I always do a photo shoot for my birthday because I think it's so important to capture moments of your life and times in your life. Um, growing up, I don't have a lot of photos of myself. So like now I'm so big on taking them and taking memories. And social media also has driven that, I think, in everyone's lives. And so I was thinking, so what can I do? Uh, black History Month is always celebrating the past and, think, and bringing up what people have done in the past. You think about old images. So like I want to bring that to the present and celebrate the now at the university and capture time in black students, staff, and faculty lives that we are having at this university. Because with our first black chancellor, we have Dr. Charles Robinson as the first black chancellor. We need to capture this and it will live forever.
1: What I love about these two um, pieces of, of, of celebration this mm-hmm. month on the campuses, one is static, right? Yes. It's photos. Yes. The other is movement.
4: Absolutely, yeah. It's like they they play so well off of each other um, that we have we reached out to the Dallas Black Dance Theater for some photos, and their photos are amazing. Like they're moving. But they're in photos. It's crazy. So, like bringing these two things together, um, it's like we, we're covering all all areas.
1: You mentioned you think yeah. when you put something together, you're very intentionally think about who it's for. Absolutely. I believe from our first meeting, I remember you grew up in a small town.
4: I did, absolutely. Roston, Arkansas. Roston, Arkansas. Yes.
1: I grew up in a small town.
4: And what? what uh, city?
1: Lakeview on Bull Shoals Lake, gotcha. North North okay. Arkansas. I'm guessing neither you nor I growing up had
4: many chances to see photo exhibits or ballet in our hometowns. None at all. So, like, and the thing, and I've seen people have um, small dance competitions or like small things, but nothing like as large scale and as uh, classy as a ballet. So, like, yeah, I've never had the opportunity to see that or any art galleries at all. So, yeah, I'm super interested in those things. And I guess, like you said, not being able to have it growing up has made me be even more interested now as I, as I've gotten older.
1: So I'm thinking you might, you know, there are going to be students at the university yes. who are from either Lakeview or Roston or Calico Rock or,
4: Small towns, you know, yeah.
1: Rector or someplace mm-hmm. who might be getting exposed to these kinds of things for the first
4: time. Absolutely. And that goes back to the rare experiences that I want to create for, for people around. Uh, yeah, we want to broaden their horizons, open their, eyes, it's just, open their eyes to just a whole new world.
1: And this doesn't have to end this exploration on February 28th.
4: Absolutely not. And I want this to live beyond the black history mode. We get so caught up in only celebrating black culture and black history in these 28 days. And it's time for us to just do it all the time. And like that's why I want the photos. The photos are going to live on like they won't be erased. So they won't just be put aside and on social media list forever. So that's why I want to bring it bring kind of bring it to social media and have that have that here and kind of go on beyond those days and bring those experiences even more as we move forward in the year.
1: The dance is Thursday.
4: Absolutely. The, the, on the 9th. On the 9th. Yes.
1: Where sir. can people get tickets? Where will they see the performance?
4: Uh, Faulkner Performing Arts. Um, on their website, I believe you can go on their website and get tickets there for the performance. And the photos? The photos. So it'll be in the Ann Kittler Gallery on campus in the Arkansas Union, fourth floor. Um, Wednesday, it will be up, but we're having a reception on Monday the 13th at 5 p.m. Something that I didn't really talk about is the goal, I think, of 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 like just all of this stuff. And so for me, not only do I want to create rare experiences, I also wanna like challenge colleagues, faculty and staff on campus to kinda of, Think beyond what we've always done and what we've always been taught to do uh, for our students, and kind of connect with them on another level uh, with this photo shoot. I want to really venture into social media because I think there's a we're missing a mark when it comes to social media and student engagement. And I think that this project hopefully will spark a interest in everyone to kind of challenge themselves to learn the students on a different level.
1: And I know you're talking about students and campus community primarily. But this extends beyond the campus absolutely. borders.
4: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I think that seeing these students seeing these photos, like, I've had so many people, like, reach out that don't have anything to do with campus. And they're like, oh, look at, like, you know, like, look at what the U of A is doing. Even alumni is like, oh, look at my alma mater. Like, they're doing it. And, like, I, I love that. I, I want us to be in the front. We're in the front. We're, we're leading from the front for sure. Thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I love it.
1: Enriquez Daniels is the Assistant Director of Multicultural Programming and Diversity Education at the University of Arkansas. Dallas Black Dance Theater's performance is Thursday night in the Faulkner Performing Arts Center. The Better in Black photo exhibition will have an opening reception Monday evening from 5 to 7 in the Ann Kittle Gallery
9: in the Arkansas Union on the University of Arkansas campus. You can discover something for everyone in the family this winter at the Scott Family Museum in Bentonville. Programming for kids of all ages, teens, adults, and professional development for educators is available. And on April 21st, the Amazium hosts its annual Ungala fundraiser. Information and registration at amazium.org.
1: This is Ozarks at Large. With me at the Carver Center for Public Radio, our Milton Greer and Catherine Schultz. Welcome
10: back. Thanks, Kyle. You know, whether it's the calendar, the clock, the tides, or the Mm -hmm. rising and setting of the sun, most of our lives are structured around the passing of time. Mm -hmm. It follows that the idea of time is found in many idioms and phrases that we use. In English, we reference time in expressions like in a jiffy Mm -hmm. or once in a blue moon. But how much time do these phrases refer to?
1: Oh, this will be interesting. So
10: I think it's time we look at some of these idioms. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Kyle, how soon would you expect me to do something if I said I would do it in a jiffy?
1: I'd say within five minutes.
10: Uh, not a day.
1: No, 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 no.
10: Certainly not a week or a month. No. Those aren't jiffies. No. Okay. Well, you might be surprised, as I was, that the idiom is rooted in the sciences, where a jiffy is a concrete, measurable unit. Really? <laughs> yes.
1: So, so what is a jiffy?
10: It's used by scientists in different ways to connote a very, very tiny amount of time. Okay. For physicists, it indicates how long it takes for light to travel one femtometer, <laughs> okay. a millionth of a millionth of a millimeter.
1: So when you say you're going to do something in a jiffy… You're going to be longer than a jiffy. Tiny, yeah. Tiny,
10: tiny. <laughs> uh, it, it's all also used by electrical engineers to measure the length of a single cycle of alternating current where it equals 17 milliseconds. I guess that's a little longer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow. In computer science, it's variable. A jiffy equals 1 to 10 milliseconds.
1: So when you say a jiffy. Yeah. Yeah.
10: yeah. Let's. Yeah. are talking fast. Okay. Yes. Kyle, if I'm relieved that something happened, even if at the very last moment, how might I express that? It happened...
1: At the 11th hour?
10: mm, No, no. I mean, that's... It happened late. Okay. But... Oh, this uh, has happened in the nick nick of time. There you go. Okay. Yeah. The saying goes back to the 16th century England. A nick was a small notch or cut used to portray extreme precision at the time typically on measuring sticks or in tally marks. Mm. So something happened if something happened in the nick of time it means it would have happened very close to the beginning.
8: Mm. Mm.
10: Before the 16th century the phrase pudding time like p u d d i n g pudding, pudding mm-hmm. time was used instead of in the nick because pudding a savory dish of meat at at the time, right. was the first portion served during medieval medieval meals. When it became a sweet dessert, as we think of pudding today, the nick was introduced. So it was in the pudding of time. Wow! <laughs> I'm going
1: to try to use. I'm going to try to remember and use that this week. And so the original in the pudding time in pudding, pudding time means mm-hmm. you're doing it at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
10: And. <laughs> As it was needed. Right, right, Mm -hmm. right. Kyle, this next one is about the quality of time, not the length. Mm -hmm. If you're having a really good time, what idiom might you use? I'm having a...
1: Uh, An idiom.
10: I'm Uh, having a blank of a time.
1: I'm having a... Whale? Yeah.
10: (laughs) Have you ever used that? I've always known what it means, but I'm not sure I've seen. I have. I
1: had an elementary school teacher who would use that. Oh, you're having a whale of a time,
10: aren't (laughs) you? So sit there and be quiet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The origins are murky, but it's been around for a few centuries. It likely came from seafaring whalers, obviously, who began using the term to describe anything unusual or grand referencing the lore surrounding whales. Yeah,
1: okay, that makes complete sense to me.
10: I don't think I've ever used this next one, but I've heard it. In a few shakes. What does that mean?
1: Well, relatively quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
10: Just like Jiffy, it's a real unit of measurement. A shake. Yeah. In physics, mm. you know, that's physics for you. <laughs> a shake is the unit of time used to measure the one step of a nuclear chain reaction. This equals 10 nanoseconds, which mm-hmm. is 10 billionths of a second.
1: Oh, my
2: goodness.
10: You know, physics comes yeah, with yeah, some well,
11: great words. Right.
10: Quark. Right. And charm. What's charm? I don't know. I've okay. heard my husband say, talk about <laughs> it, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> If you would like to go back in time to meet someone, or maybe undo something you did that you regret, what would you like to do idiom-wise?
1: Uh, so I want to go back in time? Mm-hmm. I want to...
10: It's turn actually, back time. That well, turn back the hands of there time. There you go. I started to okay. say it's a song, right? Isn't right, it? right. A share song. Yeah, yeah. Gen Z might be a little fuzzy on this one, but it refers to an analog clock.
1: With, oh, in the old movies, with a where face they would... and
10: hands. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The pointers that move around the face of the clock are called hands. So, turning back the hands of time metaphorically means to go sure. back in time. Carl, I don't know if you still have to do this, but didn't you used to have to get up really early to go to work?
1: About 3.30. Yeah.
10: <laughs> and what idiom might you use to express that? Uh, the
1: crack of... <laughs> An idiom, not just <laughs> yeah, how yeah, yeah. you express it. Uh, crack of dawn.
10: Yeah. I call it the crack of hell. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> the 19th century uh, saying originated as the crack of the day. If, Ooh, not, like that. Yeah, if not at the exact moment the sun rises. The symbolism in this idiom refers to the thin line of sunlight that appears to make a bright crack in the sky as the sun appears over the horizon.
1: If my dog could talk, I think <laughs> she would call that time of day 15 minutes too late to get out of bed.
10: <laughs> Let's
1: go for a walk before the crack of dawn.
10: <laughs> Finally, Kyle, if you're talking about something that happens really really rarely. Mm-hmm. What idiom might you use?
1: Really rarely.
10: Mm-hmm.
1: Once in a blue there moon. There you go. Yes.
10: You, you just you're a mind reader. I no, just can't. No, believe this. <laughs>
1: there's a a great Nancy Griffith song, just once in a very blue moon.
10: Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know that Beautiful know song. That one. Yeah. yeah. Astronomers could tell you exactly how rare this is. A blue moon is a special type of full moon that happens once every two or three years, when a single month has two moons. That rare second full moon is called the blue moon. Did you know, you know that? I did, mm-hmm. and
1: I actually organized most of an like twenty five years ago. I did a nose arcs at large. It was all sort of around blue moon, and of course, there are people who will tell you it's something different.
10: Oh, of course. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes.
10: And these days, there are no facts. So, That's right. Yeah. Having recently celebrated my 75th birthday, Kyle, I probably wouldn't be able to do this these days, but I have been known to stay out and dance until the cows come home.
1: <laughs> Our militant grammarian is Catherine Sheralds.
8: No need to tell
9: me you'd like to be friends.
8: You help me get back on
10: my feet again. And if I miss you, well, it's just now and then. Just once. In a very blue moon, just once. In a very blue moon, just once. In a very blue moon, and that be one.
1: tomorrow National Park Radio is releasing new music but here I am.
0: Coming up on journey.
1: We'll hear more from the new record when members of the band talk with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. Always listen when you'd like with the absolutely free
5: Ozarks at Large podcast. On the next Resilient Black Women, Joy and Denisha start the new year talking about resolutions and giving yourself grace and understanding during this time when everything around us seems to slow down.
6: Look to nature. For when you think about when you should be putting lots of energy behind things, and he's like, "Nature is at rest," and I was like, "I kind of like this." That I kind of like this idea of um, everything else is hibernating, um, and here we are thinking, like, "I need do 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 and get get get."
5: Joy and Denisha also talk about resolutions for their nonprofit organization, Resilient Black Women, whose mission is to dismantle stigmas and increase access to mental health care. For black women, women of color, and women everywhere. Recently recognized as one of the top six podcasts focusing on black wellness and health by Amaka Studio, you can listen for free at KUAF.com. And anywhere you get your podcasts.
0: This is 91.3 KUAF,
1: Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Sugarloaf. Sugarloaf! yeah, I have Representing... Western Sebastian County today. Okay. I don't know if Sugarloaf still exists. Have I driven through Sugarloaf? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Okay. I mean, I don't know what you've, where you've driven in Sebastian County. Have That's you gotten fair. off, like paved roads in Sebastian County? <laughs> I mean, Sugarloaf. No, I haven't. It may be like um, Arkawana or Gobbler. Right. It may not exist except in our memories now. I don't know. And if Sugarloaf still has a sign saying it's there, I apologize. Yeah. It's just been a long time since I've been there. There you go. Uh, Matthew produced today's program, not in Sugarloaf, but in the Bruce and Ann Applegate (laughs) News Studio, Toe at the Carver Center for Public Radio.
0: Contributors today included Anna Pope, Jacqueline Froelich, and Katherine Schultz.
1: We also received assistance with today's show from the news team at KUAR Radio. That's public radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. For KUAF, I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Uh, Tomorrow... No, wait. Uh, Today, I'm going to be at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville Uh talking about everything they've got planned for 2023. That'll be on our show early next week.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that won't take very long based on their track record of (laughs) (laughs) the amazing things that they bring.
1: I get to go into the
0: museum the day it's closed. That's pretty cool. It's very cool. I did that once. Yeah? Yeah, for the... uh, um, The event that they had, uh, I'm blanking on it now, uh, the music-related one.
1: Oh, the (laughs) music-related one, yes. (laughs) No, but it is kind of— It's wild. It's funny because I don't like to be in a school building when it's closed. Yeah. It feels eerie or creepy, Mm -hmm. but when I'm in a museum when it's closed, it just feels kind of cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, you get like Ben Stiller vibes, right? Oh, not not at the the museum.
1: museum. Yeah, nothing comes alive in there, none of the— of the picture's kind of live. All right. We should probably wrap this uh-huh. up. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We will be back with a brand new edition of our show tomorrow at noon and 7. You can ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large.
3: Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow.